0: Over the Christmas season, we are working through our teaching series titled Searching for God at Christmas, and we've been following the cast from Charles Schultz's uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, and today we're going to touch upon a truly challenging subject in our lives and and in our culture today, and and it's that of joy and contentment, Um, joy and contentment not to be confused with um, happiness. You know, we, I feel like today we're going to be confronted with uh, this deep internal struggle that many of us wrestle with in our lives or have wrestled with in our lives of what does it mean to have contentment? What does it mean to be content? And to guide us on our journey today, um, our faithful friend and pal Snoopy um, is going to kind of guide us along our course. And so I'm excited about where we'll be today. Let's take a minute to pray together. God, open our hearts and our minds to what you would have for us this day. Let your word speak and give us not only the ability to hear you, but the ability to change as you lead us, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. well it 's been fifty three years since a Charlie Brown Christmas aired on CBS uh, and to this day it 's still one of the most beloved holiday classics of all time and how many times has anybody watched it more than once this year yeah i mean, 've watched it more than once this year, not because of church but because I have small children and that 's what you do when you have small kids a lot of times. Charlie Brown sets out to discover the true meaning of Christmas and but in reality, he's searching for so much more than that. You know, he's, he is searching for something that many of us have sought throughout our lives, and he's searching for joy and contentment. He really is. And, and Charlie Brown finds his search this week, uh, focusing and leading him to Snoopy, his, his, that beloved dog. And Snoopy paints a picture of what happiness looks like for many of us during the Christmas season. And the first thing that we see is what I like to call the looks like Christmas. The looks like Christmas. The first thing that Charlie Brown finds is Snoopy decorating his dog house. Find the true meaning of Christmas. Win money, money, money. Lights and display contest. You know, a dog has gone commercial. So show of hands, I want honesty preferred. How many people here decorated their house in November? Anybody? We had people on our street that decorated their house in November. They were very excited about decorating. We decorated our house last week. My my daughter's birthday is December 7th. Yeah, December 7th. And so um, we uh, end up waiting until after the 7th to do Christmas decorating so that we don't have any drama, drama, drama because there's always drama. December birthdays are hard. Um, anyone willing to admit they haven't put any decorations up yet? Couple? Yeah? <laughs> hey, it's okay. It's not about the decorations. Realize that Snoopy doesn't um, decorate his doghouse for himself. He's not doing it for himself. He's, he's doing it um, to, to win the prize. There are those who decorate... Their houses for the people down the street. Um, these are there are those who decorate their houses to keep up with the Joneses, right? That yeah, you, you got to be better than the display next door. There are those who, um, that want to win the great Christmas light fight. Oh, I dream of doing that. My kids and I love watching anybody watch the great Christmas light fight, That's a lot of fun, <clears throat> but um. There are those people out there. There's a couple of them in DeWitt, and there's a couple of them here in St. John's. You drive by their houses and you can see the, the channel to tune in on the radio to see the displays. You know, many of us put up Christmas decorations, though, for ourselves and for our families. And, we, and as we see the decorations, it, it looks like Christmas. Right? It's Christmas now, because it looks like Christmas. And it begins to give us this feeling of happiness because it begins to look like Christmas, and it helps us to prepare for the season, to to usher in the season with this good cheer, and sometimes, however, though, some of us are a little bit more like the Grinch, you know, and when we put up the Christmas lights, and humbug, I say, and we don't want to put up lights on the house, and we we feel almost pressured to do so, and and so we uh, inevitably end up like me, and you put up a star shower, um, because it just stick it in the ground, you plug it in, and and it goes, and there, I did it. We're probably the only house in DeWitt that has a star shower and that's the only thing on their house, but hey. Or you put up one strand of Christmas lights on the tree outside your, your house, the wimpy strand, not the bright strand, but the wimpy one, um, so that the neighbor will stop giving you that evil, evil eye as they drive in their driveway like you're just, a, you're just a scrooge in all this Christmas season. But we're only doing it just to get them off our back. But the decorations do their part. You know, they make us happy they, 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 for a little while. They, and pretty soon, though, the, the twinkle lights and, and the, the, the nights, you know, in the night, they, they start to just become the norm. And for us, it's the, uh, the excitement of that star shower with the lasers coming in through the window, through the curtains. Like the first week of that, at night, the kids are dancing through the lasers and the laser beams, and they just love it. But after the first week, they just don't care anymore. They're like, oh, stupid green lasers. You know, that's what the kids are like. We stop. We start worrying more about the electric bill, and we start forgetting to turn on the Christmas lights for a couple of days. And and then January rolls around, and out comes the tubs, and then down come the lights, and then the all of the happiness of the looks like Christmas gets packed up into the boxes and put into storage until next year. And like Snoopy, we have. We have moved on to the next thing to make us happy. See, because that's what Snoopy does. He, he decorates his house, and then he moves on to the next thing. And, and for Snoopy, now don't throw anything at me. The next thing Snoopy moves on to was dinner. To dinner. The tastes like Christmas. Yeah. You all have your own tastes like Christmas? Oh, yeah, I got my taste like Christmas. What better thing to move on to in the multitude of tastes of Christmas? The Holiday 15, I believe, is a real deal. Um, I've experienced it, my friends, and um, when I was a kid, we used to make Christmas cookies. Everyone, did you ever do the Christmas cookie exchange? We would make one kind of cookie. My, I had two brothers, and we'd sit around the kitchen, and we'd make these big batches of cookies, and um, then we would take these platters in with all of our friends and at the church, and then we would trade cookies, so we could get all of the cookies that everyone else made. I had one friend, one friend whose mom made all the cookies, and I loved going to their house, because there were you know, Buckeyes, and there were you know the peanuts with the chocolates, and there were the, oh, it was amazing. I loved going there at Christmas season. What are, I'm curious, what are some of your tastes like Christmas? Mine is my mom's zucchini bread. My mom makes zucchini bread every year. Um, she puts up zucchini in the fall, and then every Christmas she takes it out and she makes zucchini bread. It's not Christmas until I have that taste like Christmas. What's one of yours? Someone share something. What's 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 yours? Yeah, Don. Candy cane cookies. What's a taste like Christmas? Sugar cookies with just frosting. But, yeah. Too much frosting on sugar cookies. That's the one with the inch thick frosting. What else? What's your, what's your taste like Christmas? Fruitcake. With the rum or without? Oh, be careful. Okay, without. Good, good. Yeah, like Kentucky fruitcake or like... <laughs> Prime rib. Don't have it any other time. My wife would probably say uh, shrimp fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah, I know. It's weird, but it's, it's it's her thing. But too much of a good thing is still too much, and too much happiness in our lives, you know, it, it, it will not help us become content in life. However, it, too much taste like Christmas may help us to increase our pant size a little bit, um, but at some point when we run out of the Christmas cookies, the breads, the snacks, and all of those things, we, we, we have to deal with the reality that working off those holiday 15 um, is, a re- is a real thing because food never satisfies fully, right? It's a momentary happiness, and it never really brings us that contentment in life, and, and Snoopy, with his dog bowl, repeatedly has to come back and get more, Because while he wants to be happy, the food didn't satisfy. And like Snoopy, we again must move on to the next thing. And Snoopy decides the next thing is dancing. And I think the dancing thing for us is feels like Christmas. The things that feel like Christmas. Like Snoopy, we look for happiness during this Christmas time by seeking out the entertainment of the season. It's not Christmas until I've watched White Christmas. or whatever movie is your holiday favorite. I happen to be partial to Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. That's just me. Maybe it's the family party on Christmas Eve, tradition or celebration, or maybe happiness only comes while holding a candle, or when we feel happy when we open presents on Christmas morning, or going to the family farm. Or maybe there's a big dinner party and a walk afterwards as a family, or sitting around Grandpa's chair telling a story. Maybe it's anything that feels like Christmas, but in reality, it's just another dance on the piano like Snoopy. The entertainment factor doesn't last, and, and as such, our happiness and our search for happiness and, test and contentment, it's just, it's, it continues to go on. You see, the looks like Christmas and the tastes like Christmas and the feels like Christmas, all three of these things are what many of us turn to in this season um, to find happiness. But they never fully give us the joy and contentment of the year that that we are looking for in our lives. I'm not saying they're bad at all. I do all of them. I'm going to eat cookies and I'm going to watch White Christmas and I'm going to decorate my house. Don't hear me wrong. I'm going to do those things because they're important. But it's not the full meaning of what we do and what the season is about. Because those things don't last. Because when January rolls around, January becomes a very tough month for a lot of people that holiday letdown. Because many of us realize that we've failed to capture that true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> because those things only bring us moments of happiness. And they don't lead to contentment and joy because joy and contentment stem from another place where, where happiness is temporary, joy and contentment in life are not. And many of us struggle to clearly articulate um, our desire to find contentment and, and pure joy in life. We struggle to, to articulate it and to say it. We desire a joy that lasts, that pres- perseveres through all things, through good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives Happiness can't accomplish that on its own, but joy can. And throughout Scripture, we're told to rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul advises the church of Thessalonica about joy with these words. And I'll be in chapter 5, verses 12 through 22, where Paul says this, Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays wrong with wrong, pays back wrong with wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone. And here's where, here's where it gets... Really important to hear this. Rejoice always. When are you supposed to rejoice? Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. Paul says that we're to rejoice always. I understand this is not a casual statement. This is not a suggestion. It is a commandment that God has given to us through Paul. Paul doesn't say, maybe give it a try. Just rejoice a little here and there. Or he didn't say, you know what, you could try being joyful every once in a while. No, he says rejoice always, always. God doesn't give us a standard that we can't obtain in life. When God says to do something, we have to be able to actually do it, And if God gives us a commandment to follow, it must be possible to meet. And by that logic, it must be possible to be joyful at all times in our lives. If the instruction is to rejoice always, then it must be possible to be filled with joy at all times. And this automatically disconnects our understanding of joy with the happiness that is found with the looks like Christmas, tastes like Christmas, and feels like Christmas Because those happinesses in our lives are tied to those circumstances and when they're gone, they fade away. They fade away. And being happy, see being happy is a part of our biology. Happiness and pleasure are a biological response that come from chemical reactions in our brain, dopamine and, and, but joy however, joy is something different. Joy is an attitude of our hearts. Regardless of the situation in our life, good, bad, or ugly, if we're, o- if we're only joyful, here, here's the thing, if we're only joyful when, when things are going well, then we're not really experiencing joy. That's hard to hear, isn't it? If we're only joyful when things are going well, we're not really experiencing joy in our lives. We're merely experiencing happiness that, are, that is circumstantial. And that's a biological response. Our attitude of joy is an attitude of our heart that endures through, through all things. James 1 2 and 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here the author reminds us that joy carries us through the trials. Joy, then, is not our understanding that God is in control, but is our conviction that he is with us through every part of our lives. Psalm 5, 11 and 12 says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. We take refuge in God, and by doing so, God becomes our shield. But that begs the question, how do we do that? How do we take refuge in God? And the answer, very simply, comes from Jesus himself in John 15, 5, where he says that famous passage of I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we take refuge in God through Jesus Christ, his son. And when we give ourselves to Christ and strive to follow him in his life and his teachings, we take refuge in God. And when we do, God not only becomes our shield, But joy begins to invade our hearts. And joy is is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it grows in us as we grow in our relationship with God. And we experience joy in our life, not by hanging decorations on our Christmas tree, even though it brings me great happiness. We decorated our Christmas tree yesterday with our kids. Brought me great happiness to do that. But that's not the center of my joy. They're just decorations. We ate Christmas cookies that they made. Happiness, but not joy. We watched White Christmas because that's our tradition. Happiness, not joy. We experience joy by turning daily to God and receiving God's love in our life. And, you know, trust is the hard part. That's the hardest part in all of this. Trust. How do you trust God? Because spiritually speaking, many of us struggle with spiritual trust issues. Spiritual trust issues. It's hard for us to trust that God actually loves us. It's hard for us to trust the, God enough to place our lives in his hands. And our lack of trust, it gives us reservations. It really does. And we wonder, can God genuinely love me? Can, After all that I have done, it's easier to trust that God loves someone else or that God loves all people and to put our faith in that statement, than to put our faith in the fact that God actually loves us individually, that God loves me individually. But to trust God's love for ourselves, it's hard to do, because we know the secrets that lie deep within ourselves that no one else knows except for God, who already knows our hearts. And I don't understand what else God could physically do to demonstrate his love for us. He's he's already sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. And as a father, I, I struggle to understand the emotions surrounding that sacrifice. How could God demonstrate his love more clearly than he already has? I feel that sometimes we merely need to hear that we are loved more often than we do. I think that sometimes we just need to hear those words, I love you, more. As a father, I struggle with this in my life, too. Not because of pride or, or you know, he's a man, he doesn't say I love you, you know, or anything like that. But I have little kids, and I don't always have the, the most patience. That's true. I get tired, too. I've had... I've had to make sacrifices for my children that they just don't understand. They don't understand what I've had to give up for them. Someday I hope they will. I really do hope they understand. But for now, they don't. They only know that daddy was gone. That's all they know. And just a simple illustration. A few weeks ago, I was out for an evening, for for a meeting. And I was not home to put my kids to bed, which is usually daddy's job. I try to put my kids to bed every night. That's, you know, whenever there's an evening meeting, I I, I come home, and that's the last thing I do is no matter what, I and even if they're in bed, I come in and I tuck them in. That's my job. My boys were okay. My daughter was two, now three, because she just had a birthday. The next morning, she struggled a lot. She refused to eat breakfast. She refused to brush her teeth. She refused to get dressed. She refused to get in her car seat, which doesn't negate the fact that I had to get my boys to school on time because I drive them to school on my way to the church. And you know what you have to do when your kid refuses to get dressed? You get them dressed, which doesn't help the situation. You put them on the toilet, you brush their teeth. My boys were waiting in the car, and I got Melody into her car seat. And my la- my heart is literally breaking, you know, in this moment. And I-, I started singing to her because it's all I had left in me to do. And I just started singing just because you call me weird or whatever, but that's what I do. And I-, I just sang this refrain, I love you, Melody. You mean the world to me. I love you, Melody. Precious Melody. Her name is Melody. And, I mean, I was, it was all I could do to keep from screaming because I know from experience that screaming at my two-year-old doesn't help. So I'm singing her this song. I finally get her in the car. She's screaming and crying the whole time in the bathroom and the, getting her clothes on, getting her teeth brushed. The whole time she's just screaming and fighting and I'm singing her this refrain over and over and finally we get in the car and we get on the road and I'm finally like, okay, we're driving. I got a cup of coffee, we're driving. She's screaming behind my seat because she sits behind me and my, my, my nine-year-old and my five-year-old are there and we're going, gonna okay, get to school, just get to school, just get to school, just get to school. And I hear Melody just stop crying and she starts whimpering behind me and she says, Daddy, hand. Daddy, sing. Daddy, hand. Daddy, sing. And so I reached my arm around behind me and I and I held her hand and she she put her two hands on my hand and I'm, I'm I drive a stick shift and I had a <laughs> and so you so you see and I'm I'm in this little Toyota car and and I got a stick shift and I had coffee down and a couple. And all the way around behind me in the car seat, and, and I'm driving, and I'm shifting, and, and I'm <laughs> I'm in pain, and again, to keep from screaming, she stops screaming, and she's daddy sing. I love you, melody. You mean the world to me. I love you, melody, precious melody. Pretty soon, my two boys started singing the same thing because I had stopped singing and she started crying again. So I started again and my boys are singing. We get to the school and they're singing and we pray together and then Jake goes to school and then I get Weston to school. (sighs) Shifting and driving to her to daycare and I kept singing and I kept holding her hand. My shoulder's numb, my arm is numb. All the way to daycare, dropped her off. Here's the point. Sometimes it's not the significant sacrifices we make that we need reminding of in our lives. Sometimes we just need, we need to hear God say that he loves us over and over again. Sometimes we just need to hear to have God reach out his hand and just hold his hand for a while. Just listen to his voice as he sings to us I love you, and you mean the world to me. I love you. We know the sacrifice was great on the cross. We know the big things. Sometimes we don't understand it, just as my kids don't understand the sacrifices I've made for them. But all Melody needed in that moment was for her daddy to hold her hand and to tell her that he loved her. That's all she needed. We miss something when this book, not this one, but any Bible, becomes just a pursuit of academic research, theological debate, a point of argument, a political stance, something to argue about and we miss the fact that it is a love song that has been written for us about a God who created us in his image loved us enough to sacrifice for us and loved us enough to extend his hand to us over and over and over and over and over again and that that love song still speaks to us Just as Melody found comfort and joy and contentment and repeatedly hearing my love for her, we can hear God, God's love for us through the stories and the pages of his word for us as well. And as we learn to trust in God and find our refuge in him, we find ourselves having more joy in our lives as we begin to experience God. You see, love came down in a very special way the night that Jesus was born, and the shepherds who were there, they, they heard about him. We read about it in Luke 2. You know, there were, there were shepherds. They were in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and and, and it, they, they were saying, Glory, the Lord just shone around the angels. And the shepherds, they were terrified. The shepherds were terrified of what they saw But the angel said to the shepherds that they shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you, a child is going to be born in the city of David. And he is Messiah. He's going to be Christ the Lord, and he will be assigned to you, and you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Don't be afraid. There's good news of great joy. You know, farming may be considered a gentleman's profession to some and may be glamorous to those who live in the city. But in the time of Jesus' birth, being a shepherd meant that you were untrustworthy, you were not religious by any means. And the fact that the angels came to the shepherds was a, that they were first to be told, is a big deal when you read about the birth of Jesus. Shepherds were dirty. They were disrespected. They were not trustworthy. But they were the first to find out. And they didn't say, go clean up. Get yourself prepared and then go see the baby. The angels just said, go to see the baby. And And that's part of this expression of love that we must not forget this Christmas is that Jesus invites us to come as we are. He loves us enough to meet us where we are without requiring us to change who we are. But he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. He loved us first. God loved us first. And then he allows uh, his love to change us from the inside out as we're filled with joy and that's this unconditional love thing and that's what we call it in church talk right unconditional love agape love that church lingo it's because of his love that we can rejoice always that's where joy comes from from that love in every situation whether it's good or bad or ugly because god's love does not depend on our ability to prepare for it Like the shepherds. They didn't have to go wash up. They didn't have to go read anything. They didn't have to do anything. They just had to go see Jesus. Recall just for a moment Psalm 5. It says, But let those who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. You see, we we all experience pains and trials and tribulations in our lives. God does not prevent these things from happening. He doesn't fix all of our problems just because we believe in Him. We know this. It's common sense. But God's protection and presence in these times provides us with joy that helps us to endure the trial, to endure the situation. And this joy comes from the reality that we know that God is with us and that his strength and love will see us through even though we may not always see it. It's like we're sitting in the car seat crying because of our situation but God's in the driver's seat holding our hand even though we're crying, even though we're weeping, even though there's problems. That gives us joy to persevere, to endure. It doesn't make the situation go away, but it gives us a joy that's found nowhere else. And so I ask you, what's holding you back this Christmas season from from experiencing all that God has offered you in your life? What What is keeping you from finding contentment? What is causing you to search aimlessly for something to make you happy? For that next bowl of dog food, for Snoopy, for that next yard ornament to decorate the tree for that next buckeye or piece of zucchini bread or sugar cookie with an inch of frosting. This year, maybe it's time to stop looking for joy and contentment in the looks like Christmas, the tastes like Christmas and the feels like Christmas. Perhaps it's time to start looking for joy and God's unconditional love and begin to take refuge in it. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your gift of love. As we prepare our homes and our hearts for the celebration of your son's birth, we recognize that our simple desire is to know that you love us, to hear you say, I love you. You are precious to me. I love you. In all the happiness that we experience this season, we ask that you would fill us with your joy as we take refuge in you. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus, the Christ and our Savior that we pray. Amen.